Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome back to the BFI podcast, Bits and Bobs from British Film, bundled up into 40-odd minutes of chit-chat by me, the BFI's digital editor, Henry Barnes. I'm recording this at home today, so you get the sotto voice of a man trying to get a podcast done while not waking the baby. Coming up, quietly, activist, educator and punk rocker Shardine Taylor-Stone talks about African Odyssey's new wave, her monthly season spotlighting hot new BAME talent. Laurie Rose, the BAFTA-winning cinematographer behind High Rise, Journey's End, and Paddy Considine's new film Journeyman, talks about making D.O.P. look easy. Derek Jarman, archive audio featuring the director's semi-outrageous thoughts on the royal family. And we introduce the UK's best new film critic, Fletcher Scott Fox, who's from Raynham in Kent, and he's 10. First up, here, ferreted out of the archive, is some audio of Derek Jarman, aired because the BFI is releasing two box sets of his films, the first of which will be available in early April. This interview was recorded at the BFI South Bank in 1991, three years before Jarman, a passionate gay rights advocate and outspoken critic of the Thatcher government's treatment of the LGBT community, died of an AIDS-related illness. The interviewer, and I'll warn you, the owner of quite an extraordinary laugh, was Colin McCabe. I wouldn't make films if I knew what I was doing. <laughs> because it wouldn't be any much interest. Do you know what I mean? If you seem to know what you're doing, one, you make it hell on earth for everyone else because they're pushed about. I was always more interested in having a, a happy work situation than the actual end product. Because uh, it just seemed to me so many people worked in jobs that were unbearable. And I mean, as presumably the director or whatever you were, uh, it, you're, you're, you would try and make it amusing. Um, so, I mean, I think that's my general approach to it. Um, you know, it is nice to know each day that something new is happening and you actually see something new. And I'm not some, you know, there are painters, for instance, who fill in the bits like Stanley Spencer, you know, like Jigsaw. You can see if you look at his paintings, they're all drawn out like this, and I'll paint that area and that area. And, you know, he's drawn a drawing and pinned it all up. And there are others that go for it, like Jackson Pollock. I'm sort of <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm more of a Jackson Pollock sort of painter, filmmaker. In the British press, it becomes, oh, Derek John's camp sensibility, but nowhere else does it. There's nowhere else in Europe where this dreadful word, thank God, I didn't... What is the Italian equivalent of camp? 
unfortunately, they don't seem to have one, thank God. I think camp might be the beginning of intelligent, actually. I mean, I sometimes think that, and decadent. I mean, if someone says your film's decadent, you can surely know that there's probably something in it. You know? And certainly, um, camp is the beginning of intelligence, I suppose, in Great Britain. I mean, you know, it starts, so if your film is in camp, forget it. Matilda <laughs> thinks that the glamour is very good. I think she, you know, she wants to be called an actress, you know, not this sort of. I'm, there were some people calling everyone actors. I mean, why they weren't calling them all actresses, I don't know. But they were, they were all. Everyone had become an actor, you know. And I think she's dead right that she should be an actress. And I, so I was, I was always sort of worried about this, whether I was getting it right or not at places like this, you know, sort of going, oh, um, you know, uh, actor, the actor, Tilda Swinton. But I mean, so, so, we, so we go back to actress, thank God, like we've gone back to queer, you see. It's all, everyone is, everyone's getting their act together, do you know. And actually, what's nice about it, I suppose, if you want to be an actor, you can. And, <laughs> Personally, I think it's great. I mean, I think the more labels everyone can have, the richer the, rather like the Renaissance. <laughs> you know, you know, we can all become gods and goddesses of our own choosing, you know? And that's what I, I mean, I've always been for um, very pluralistic thing. I, you know, I've never believed that anyone really had the truth. I mean, once, and, and in a sense, and I, Auden says this, that he, I can't remember who it was in this book that I've been reading, he said that the, the, the great problem is that, uh, that he didn't realise his work was straw. And I think, I mean, I think that that is the best uh, way of looking at it. Nigel said to me, Andrews, um, what do you want to be remembered for? Uh, it sounded a bit of <laughs> a terminal question. And I said, well, I said, not films, I said, because I don't think there are any importance whatsoever, but I said, you know, as one step on the normalisation in sexual politics, you know, as one uh, contributor to this. And I said, that's, I'd be very happy for that, I mean, if that's how things happen. Well, actually, the royal family, I mean, it's, they're trapped in, you know, the sort of, you know, the, in the sun and the moon and the stars. I mean, Princess, uh, you know, Diana has actually done, I mean, given the fact that they're there, I mean, I have to say that first, but since they are there, and I, uh, I mean, I think she's done sterling work. work. She went to uh, my friend uh, Adrian Ward Jackson's bedside and sat with him while he died a few weeks ago and got lambasted, I think, quite unfairly in the press for doing this. The fact of the matter is princesses know a lot of gay men. It's simple as that, because they're not allowed out with the straight men, so they're going, <laughs> they're going out for the evening. They're usually out with gay men. I mean, you know, as far as I know, a lot of my, my uh, uh, friends were, were, were sort of buddies of, uh, of Princess Diana, though I never met her. But I mean, you know, sort of, they sort of knew her, you know, dancers and things, you know, actors and such like. And um, I mean, I realise that, that you can go. But I mean, given the, given the fact she might have done nothing, it's better to do something. So I do, I think there is that element, you know? I mean, there is a, a marvellous story of Frederick Ashton, who was a real chum of the Queen Mother's uh, for years. And, um, and, she, and, and they got on so well that he wrote her sort of 90th birthday ballet or whatever it was, you know, and that was the way she decided to spend her evening on her 90th birthday. 
And in, uh, in any case, um, uh, arriving at the opera house, uh, and people were clapping, you know, like this, like they do, you know, that subservient way we all do. She turned to Sir Fred and she said, I wonder what they really think of two old queens like us. <laughs> I just think that, uh, you know, the whole thing is sort of I mean, put on that level all the problems in the sun and the evening standard are pathetic. Do you know what I mean? You know, you actually know what I mean, what real life is like, if you see what I mean. Um, so, I mean, and as you know, there's this huge history from, uh, you know, Mountbatten, the Duke of Kent. I believe uh, the Duke of Windsor was caught in bed by the Duke of York. I mean, it's lovely. It's slightly firm, isn't it? You know what I mean? He was so horrified that the Cuban ballet dancer he was sleeping with was given a one-way ticket to the Bermuda Triangle. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, all of that goes on, you see. I'm certain that, you know, there's more than a little bit of truth in it all. And even if there isn't, you know, it's, it's good speculation. <laughs> Keeps the newspapers going. Gas von Sant, you know, said this in Venice, uh, um, because the Idaho film was on, which I haven't seen actually yet, and he said he thought that, um, that Hollywood was going to stumble on the fact that it was actually profitable to make lesbian and gay films. And as soon as that happens, of course, they'll be on in the Odeon West End. It'll be very interesting to see what happens. The magnificent Derek Jarman. The box set Derek Jarman, Volume 1, 1976 1986, will be released by the BFI on April 2nd and is being sold by any retailer with an ounce of sense. Next up, Laurie Rose, whose career as a cinematographer has seen him work on films like Sightseers, High Rise and Journey's End, and some excellent telly, including Peaky Blinders, Fleabag and London Spy, for which he picked up a BAFTA. I met Laurie to talk about Journeyman, Paddy Considine's second film as director, and his first as director, writer and star. Journeyman tells the story of Matty Burton, a middleweight boxing champion who, after a crucial fight, collapses comatose to the floor of his living room. He wakes up in hospital with memory loss and a radically altered personality, one which his wife, Emma, played by Jodie Whittaker, struggles to handle. I talked to Laurie in the bustling lobby of Baby Cow, the production company co-founded by Henry Normal and Steve Coogan. That clattering and nattering you hear is the sound of very caffeinated people getting media made. I started our interview by asking Laurie what Paddy had asked him to make Journeyman look like. Directors usually have an idea in their mind of, usually you can ask them about a film or two films that they kind of want to, um, not, you know, lovingly uh, rip off. Um, and, and what he said was that it's not a boxing film, and I think that that becomes apparent when you, when you do get to see it, is that it's not a film that's um, strictly about boxing. So there, there wasn't that, that kind of reference. What he wanted, uh, you know, obviously his first film was Tyrannosaur, and he wanted to... It was about the authenticity and the reality of the situation. So it wasn't about it being any like particularly like any other film, but he wanted to, to approach it in a very authentic sort of way. So that's that was that was how we set out to do that. I want to Brother? That is your little girl. It's Mia. Mia. Do you understand? No. And nothing comes close. Got married here. Do you remember? Mm -hmm. Do you remember? Yeah. You don't, do you? 
don't tell anyone, but we'd often finish quite early. <laughs> because that was the beauty of that. That's because, unheard of. <laughs> yeah, because he would um, he'd go, well, we've kind of done it. And you go, well, we could do another one of those and we could do another one of the, you know, just to, just so you've got some extra stuff. And you'd be like, well, no, I think it's not going to get any better. And so we'd, bring it, we'd go, okay, we'll... Off to the pub. <laughs> we'd, go, we'd go home, which was great. So, it was, yeah, it kind of worked out. It was good. You started your feature film career with Ben Wheatley on, on Down Terrace. And it's another kind of director, I imagine, who's very hands-on and wants to work closely with you. Absolutely. I mean, is that kind of attitude to filmmaking something that you've drifted into? Or is it a philosophical approach that you take, that you really want to be there with the director working closely and not work on those bigger budget things where you might be divorced from them? That's interesting. I think my, I'm, I love my background and I think it's kind of, it's got me where I've got, you know, I don't regret anything that I've done in terms of, you know, I guess I kind of started relatively late, but I came into film, into narrative filmmaking in a, in a bit of a sideways way because I was a TV cameraman for, for a good few years and, uh, and, but do, and doing all sorts of different things. I like doing lots of different things and I try and do that when I'm doing, in terms of the subjects that I get to choose now, I like to, you know, don't try and stick with anything that's completely gritty or things that are too, you know, I like every project to be as different as possible. It means that you get to work with lots of different people on lots of different stories. Um, but my background is, obviously, is instilled fairly recently, is from a low budget and very hands-on and um, and moving relatively quickly because you're 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 stuck with you know real locations and it, it's not studios and you haven't got much money and you've got much time and and so there's a certain methodology to that and I love that. But also, as I'm going along. So I'm uh, those thing. I'm getting opportunities to do different sort of projects. So I'm so I am doing bigger studio sort of stuff, and um, they are different, but they're not. They're kind of essentially the same. It, even on a very big set, and I did did a, a really big show last year that was based at Leaveston, and that um, was a real you know it was a, a, a joy to do. I was very lucky to get involved in that. But and essentially what it is is it's still sort of four or five people in the middle of an enormous studio that we're still doing the same thing you're still trying to tell a story you're still trying to the basics of of film grammar using the same kind of kit and what happens with those kind of five or six people just happens to be wrapped in a load of cgi and vfx and and grip and you know beautiful 360 degree sets um so it's it's kind of the same thing but just on a different scale we won't last five minutes if the germans attack You'll just stay where you are for as long as you can. When's it expected? Day after tomorrow. This waiting is like being summoned to the headmaster. They've sent us here to die. I really pride myself on on, um, on kind of making relationships with with actors and being very close and uh, and them them trying using the camera as something to react to. Um, a, the, as, a, as a witness to what they're doing um, and obviously that's different on all sorts of different stories uh, and approaches you know and that that can depend on all sorts of things but but I love being I love operating and I love being uh, interacting with car you know just kind of witnessing what they're doing but also being almost like an unspoken character I think with Journey's End it was very conscious you know son of saul was a big influence on that and in it which is a very very immediate 
uh, very, you know, you know, it's all based around the reactions of one person and you're kind of within their space at all times. You kind of never, ever leave that. And that, that was that was really where all of that came from. And it, was, it ends up mean, meaning that it's very experiential and, uh, it feel, and, and immersive. And so you're... You, there's an, an unrelenting, so you're always you're always in their world. You never stand back and get a chance to look at the the broader picture, um, and that was what we intended to do. I think it worked. Hopefully, it worked. Talking about that relationship between you and actors, it often seems to me that a DOP kind of acts as a translator between those two uh, disciplines, if you like, like the kind of very techie side of filmmaking which often feels removed from the acting profession of feeling a moment. Yes, I mean, I think that some lots, but everyone is different. I mean, every, every director's approach is very different. And then every relationship between a DP and a director is, is very different. And then every story is different. So there's lots of elements that, that, uh, that are at play. Um, uh, uh, lots of people talk about cinematography as an art, and I think that there is an, there is an art to it. But I think that that sort of has to be... That has to be um, that has to come from a, from an agreement between the DP and the director, um, because if the if the if the director is kind of not interested in pictures as much, and as again everyone is very different, so you're always negotiating that that relationship. Um, I don't see myself necessarily as an artist. I'm kind of there as a commissioned craftsperson, uh, as a, as an art like you say is that, that kind of bridge so you're an artist craftsperson so as an, as an artisan you're a commissioned uh, craftsperson because you have to have that, that embedded technical knowledge um, but also you're there as you're working with, with actors and responding to the story and the narrative and trying to tell the story in the best way um, and if you're too technical then there's a chance that you're going to detach from that and uh, and not not be true enough to the narrative and and then you're what you're doing is how would you like to look five years younger in a clinical study people that had volume added with juvederm voluma xc in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment look younger feel like you add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with juvederm voluma xc Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. 
Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Kind of taking a singular role um, and relying on, on the, the, actors and, the actor and the director to... Um, to kind of take up the slack, but I think what's lovely about what I really like doing anyway, and I love the opportunity to do is to, as you say, is that kind of when you're able to be a translator between the emotional and the technical, and you get to glue that stuff together and respond in a, in a, I don't know, it's, and it's very difficult to describe or a point to a bit that that I could tell you that that's how it's like it's just a kind of it is there's lots of instinct involved and yeah. lots of uh, intuition and uh, and kind of get embedding and getting into the feeling of it and uh, knowing the script and getting to know the actors and I guess if if there's going to be art in any of it that's where the art is because because it's kind of uns, undescri- indescribable can I ask you a couple of stupid questions before we wrap up Favourite favorite colour? <laughs> I was going to be. Yeah, what's yeah. your favourite colour and what's your favourite colour on film and is there a difference? Oh. I, uh, <laughs> I don't have a favourite colour. I'm, wear, I'm wearing quite a lot of black because it makes me look thinner. <laughs> um, I quite like... Black's not a bad one to go for, actually, or, or shadow, I think, is quite important to me. Um, and it's, it, um, you know, there's, there's, there's the things that you can see and then the things that you can't see, and I think that that's quite a strong tool in making pictures. What's the weirdest thing that's happened to you in film, both on and off set? I don't know, really. I'll tell you the greatest thing that I love is about that being, is, is when performances this is what I love about actors is when performances are coming at you and and I've there's been a, f- a few occasions when I've done I've, I've done shots with my mouth open because of the performance that's coming at me and I'm not having to do any work to make that performance happen and you know well we I've done my bit and and I'm I'm just witnessing performances sometimes that happens and it just is it's just uh, a delight you know and that's that's one of my favorite things is when yeah I've done 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 shot scenes with my mouth aghast at just what's coming at me and because I'm watching the film you know <laughs> also the, the kind of fragileness of that moment right because I was listening to an interview with Paul Thomas Anderson where he was saying that he obviously is working people like Daniel Day-Lewis yeah, yeah, who, yeah. who deliver those moments yeah. fairly regularly yeah, yeah. but he can't help himself but laugh on occasion yes. and you know react oh, in a human way I laugh to... quite a lot <laughs> which is quite in fact I could point them out especially in, in weekly films which I get in trouble all the time for, for, for laughing either out loud or just wobbling the camera all that art you've destroyed yes <laughs> but, but they're also there's, you know Ben has, must have a knack now of, uh, of, of working around them but he does I do get in trouble a lot for laughing when it's funny you know that's the problem with shooting things that are funny is that I can't help but I experience them and so there's a shot in Kill List actually Michael Smiley, who just makes me laugh just by just by being Michael Smiley, really. So he and some of his his um, his uh, ad libs and improvisations are just hilarious. And you can't, it's not my fault. <laughs> but there's a few, there's a good few wobbles in Kill List that are because he's made me snort with laughter. 
Laurie Rose, Journeyman co-financed by the BFI, is released in UK cinemas this Friday. From established talent to one of the industry's newest and youngest stars, at the age of 10, Fletcher Scott Fox is, already, an award-winning film critic. Fletcher, who's from Kent, walked away from the Interfilm Awards a couple of weeks ago with the Best Young Reviewer Prize for his thoughts on Spirited Away. Interfilm, supported by the BFI, is all about putting film at the heart of the educational and personal development of children and young people across the UK. Their awards, held annually at the BFI South Bank, celebrate the best of young talent across the industry. Let's hear Fletcher's killer acceptance speech from this year's awards and then from the boy himself. Um, who likes film? I'm sorry, um... Okay, who likes film? Okay, so the only reason I do this is because I love film and I, like, want to get that heard by other people around and give them the opportunity to write their review and have their voice heard. Yeah. I mean, like, I couldn't believe it. It was, I was shaking all over. Everything was just a dream and I couldn't stand, like, everything was just in front of me and the award got given to me and I was like, this is happening. Is film reviewing something you'd like to do as a job and what do you think that job would be like? Well, it'd just be like amazing because me doing it now is just fun. But me doing it as older, me older for a job, it'd just be like really fun because I get to watch the films, review them and people will actually look at it. Can you tell us about your film club? What's it called and uh, how many people are in it? Well, our film club is actually just called Film Club. And how many people are in it? I'd say like a dozen and a half. Is it a good mix of boys and girls or is it mainly boys or mainly girls? It's a very good mix of boys and girls aged 8 11. This week we had a film chosen by the Into Film. But normally, our in our film club leader, Mr. Halls, chooses our films, and they are varied from animations to documentaries. Do you remember any particular favourites, even from when you were younger or from the moment? Favourites? I just... If you ask me any of these questions, like, what's your favourite film, or what would you give this film rating, I would never be able to answer it. I mean, like, all the films I watch, I love or don't like... And that's just it. I can't pick a favourite. And finally, are there any films that you want to watch but you can't watch because your mum and dad won't let you? Oh, oh, I don't... Oh. Um, me and my sister have been yeah. looking at um, new Baywatch that came out last year, but they're old for us. Yeah. So. A little bit mature. Yeah. I'm reading a book, and this is one I'm not letting myself see because I just think I can't cope with it. Maze Runner. I'm reading the book and I don't think I can cope with the film. Well, it's a bit too intense. Yeah, well, the book is, and if I read the film, if I read the if I see the film, I probably will just, like, hide in the corner for my, hide in a corner for the rest of my life. <laughs> and now an excerpt from Fletcher Scott Fox's review of Spirited Away, read by the author. This Japanese animation is filled with parental pigs, twin witches, spider men 
big babies, a person without a face called No Face, Mud Sludges, a literate ghost town, and Sin. Zero to the Way is a brilliant movie with perfect animation to make you smile on just any occasion. The detail put into this amazing film is unreal as the character personalities are realistic and all of the missed creatures have different personalities. I think ages 1 to 100 will love this movie as it warms hearts and gives an amazingly thought story. P.S. If you didn't realise, I love Japanese animations. Thanks very much to Fletcher and his mum, Tracy, for putting aside the time to talk to me. You can read the whole of Fletcher's review of Spirited Away on the Interfilm website. And finally, to African Odyssey's New Wave, a new monthly series of talks and screenings focusing on the best new BAME talent across the arts who are inspired by film. Here's the season's curator, Shardine Taylor-Stone. What we're trying to do is create a space for young, sort of um, black and minority ethnic filmmakers or people who just are inspired by the moving image. So we're kind of in a time where there's a bit of a um, sort of black renaissance happening and you see it through filmmakers like Cecil Emma Kay and um, Shola Amu and Jessica Ashman. And um, I just wanted to sort of capture that and bring that into the BFI because that's really what we should be doing. And, you know, we have a history of sometimes maybe being a little bit behind when things have happened. And I think we actually, we should be, giving space to these young people now who are actually you know really creating really interesting work it's interesting at the bfi isn't it? you get these massive names coming along we have an amazing archive of big name people that are here but you often think what's in that archive that should have been discovered or what did we miss at the time is that part of the purpose of what you're doing absolutely and it's also about making sure the bfi is a space that people feel that they can come to and is there for them you know i mean when you like go back like hundreds of years there's always been like um so like in club culture, we just mentioned I was a punk rocker. So like the Roxy was a space that people went to and met people and hang out and creativity came out of that. So I'm like, well, why can't we have something similar? So with New Wave, I mean, like I said, it's not just filmmakers. It's people who are inspired by film. So going forward, we're going to have people who are painters, people who are photographers. And they're essentially just going to be talking about their work and we'll be having some clips. But it's really creating a kind of everyone now uses the word salon where you know people can come and like have a chat and have a drink and stuff and just sort of link in with each other so i'm trying to sort of build that network yeah and you mentioned the roxy i mean bfi south bank does have that feeling we're sat up on the balcony right now <laughs> on the uh, is it the opening night of flair tonight or is it, it is the opening, the opening it's night, the opening yeah. night yeah and you, you really get that atmosphere from this place and it'd be great to capture that and channel it a bit absolutely more. i mean i think you know we had the fantastic black panther event here where it was like a thought on takeover and there was a market and it was really great i think it's a really exciting time at the bfi right now because i think we're just finding our sort of placing how you know we want to be part of you know what's happening currently and we we are absolutely fantastic about you know doing all the archive film we had a brilliant season of Bergman which I found really interesting but then it's like you know what what are we looking at now for the future and you know how can we make sure that we are I guess invested in supporting those younger filmmakers and you mentioned this is kind of a multidisciplinary event in that you have not just filmmakers but musicians and poets and, and all sorts of people do you think sometimes we're a bit um, prescriptive about what influences film often people will sit in the bfi south bank and talk about film as being influenced purely by other filmmakers or film itself and it's weird that we forget that there's a whole world out there as absolutely well. i mean i think it was um 
can't remember the, the their name right now. They just did the, the painting of Barack Obama. They were oh, here. Um, Kehinde Wiley. Yeah, it was yeah. actually Kehinde Wiley that kind of sparked the idea to move it beyond just film because he was talking about how as a painter, his composition, he learned composition through watching film yeah. because the mediums are essentially working a very similar format. And I went, oh my God, that's so obvious. Like, yeah. Why have we not got <laughs> photographers talking about film so i mean i've just been um chatting to jessica ashman who's an animator she's um one of the first black women to um to have graduated from the rca's animation program and um she sent me some clips of her influences and yeah there's animation in there but then there's also this film um you know we're going to be talking about photography we're going to be talking about fashion yeah it's i think as a creative person if you're a director or what have you you're going to be influenced by lots of different things you're not just going to be influenced by film I mean it doesn't make any sense I'm sure any you know big director will probably have a few favourite paintings that have inspired certain scenes or colours or something like that so it's just making the kind of obvious really obvious I'd be remiss of me if I didn't talk about your own your own multidisciplinary approach <laughs> to art. Can you tell us a bit about Big Joni? Um, yeah, well, Big Joni's a um, black feminist punk band, and um, we started in 2014. And um, it was from a, a thing called um, First Timers, where everybody had to learn how to play an instrument. So I learned how to play drums. or some form of drums. I play two drums still after four years. And um, yeah, we've managed to like, we've torn all over the UK and all of us do our, you know, we're all quite creative people. So, you know, I write as well. Um, I do a lot of organizing and events and sort of, you know, creative stuff. Steph is also a music writer and organizes Decolonize Fest, which is a um, POC punk um, festival and Stella it plays in about 10 bands I think probably now God knows but she's also a guitar teacher as well so we all do our our separate things it's interesting isn't it because the DIY space where first time as the event was held is is kind of a like a proto BFI South Bank in a strange way but maybe that's the wrong way of looking at it that we maybe want to bring more of the spirit of that kind of art space that's run by a collective back to the BFI yeah I think so and I think you know it's about so many people are regular regulars here and it's kind of make, getting rid of that mystique of, you know, clickiness. I mean, there's no other way to say it, really. I mean, it's kind of like letting people know that they can approach us and be like, Do you know what, I have this amazing film. I want to screen it, but where can I screen it? And we've got in the studio is a perfect space for that experimental sort of first timer kind of, you know, filmmaking really so I think that's kind of what I want us to be in future the institute in deinstitutionalizing the institute deinstitutionalizing <laughs> the institute yeah absolutely <laughs> I mean I think it's because some people you know I mean because a lot of my background is in activism as well and it's about opening doors for people and letting people know that we can be approached you know if you do have an idea we are open to that idea but you know just pitch it to us and a lot of people don't have that confidence or feel like oh why is the BFI gonna you know they're not gonna notice me they're not gonna be interested and it's actually yeah we are interested in what you're doing because that's what we're here for that's why we exist 
New Wave, part of the BFI's African Odyssey strand, starts Saturday, April 7th and will be held monthly for six weeks after. Hear more Big Joni at bigjoni.bandcamp.com. And that's it for this episode. The baby's woken up and the toddler's heading back from nursery, so um, I'm off to work out today's reason for us not watching Paddington 2 for the 4,000th time. Anyway, my thanks to Shardine Taylor-Stone, Laurie Rose, the indomitable spirit of Derek Jarman, and especially Fletcher and Tracy Scott Fox for their time. I'm Henry Barnes. You can find me on Twitter at Henry H. Barnes. The BFI podcast, which is written, presented and produced by me, is hosted on SoundCloud and can be found on Apple Podcasts. Please rate, review, subscribe. All the usual. Our theme tune is a track called Throwback Jack, used under license from Audio Network. Cheers for listening, see you next time, and we still lack a clever last line. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.